0: A number of uh, years ago, I was a kid. I was living on the uh, on the Reckliffe Peninsula, and there was a man who used to sort of ride around the peninsula on uh, on uh, on this battered old bicycle. And he would you just see him around all over the place, you know, just in in different uh, in different uh, parts of the uh, of the peninsula. He he wore these ragged old clothes, these dirty, grubby, ragged old clothes, and he and he lived in this rundown old house. And uh, the house, I mean, it looked like it was pretty much ready for demolition. It was, it was that run down. You wouldn't think that anyone could live in there. It was interesting because uh, after he died, it was discovered that this man, in fact, was, uh, was very, very wealthy. In fact, he was probably one of the richest uh, people living on the peninsula at that particular point in time. Over the years, he'd accumulated this money, but he'd never, ever spent it. He just, you know, allowed it just to accumulate there in, in the bank. And as a consequence of not touching it, he basically lived his life as a pauper. His money was untouched. And although having the potential to significantly change his life, I mean, the, this 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 basically this treasure remained untapped for him. There was no profit. That money was no profit for him in his life whatsoever. And, you know to people back in that day as well as I'm sure to people hearing this story today it seems quite a surprising thing doesn't it that a person would live like that having all this money there in the bank but yet living such a, a poor and uh, a, 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 such a poor life in some ways our passage this morning here in James kind of mirrors that story about that man James has been making it clear in the previous verses that that for the follower of Jesus, spiritual maturity is the goal. Spiritual maturity is the goal. God's purpose in saving us was not only to to save us from our sins and the consequences of our sin, but to produce in us righteousness. And uh, we saw this uh, last week in James chapter 1 and verse 20. It says, James writes, For the anger of man does not produce what? does not produce righteousness, the, the righteousness of God. And so for James, we saw that, that indeed his focus was on, you know, what does produce righteousness in the believer's life? And James says that it is indeed the implanted word. We read that in verse 21 of James chapter 1, that it is the implanted word that brings about this righteousness in our lives. Now, just as God's powerful word brought about salvation in all of our lives, his word also brings about the righteous things of God in our lives as well. And that is things like right conduct and right attitudes and right motives, right behaviours, things like that. We saw that in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, how uh, the Apostle Paul, writing about these things to Timothy, Timothy, says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, For correction and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is the purpose of the Word of God. And James goes on to say that for the Word of God to have this proper effect in our lives, we need to have hearts that are receptive to it. We need to have hearts that are receptive to it. We need to approach it with a deep yearning and a deep hunger. For the word of God. We need to, be, to put away those things, that, uh, those, those deeds and attitudes, if you like, that, that become barriers to the word of God accomplishing these things in our life. That's what we saw in, in last week's message from James, in uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 through to 21. Well, what James goes on to point out now, though, is, is that just having a knowledge of God's word is, is, is not enough, though. Having a knowledge of God's word is not enough. You might have been here last week. I spoke to you about uh, Alec Mateer, uh, one of the uh, commentators uh, who's written a commentary on James. He says, It is possible to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, but to have achieved no more than to have moved the bookmark forward in our Bibles. Another commentator, Warren Wearsby, says this, sort of on the same lines. He says, Too many Christians mark their Bibles... But their Bibles do not mark them and their lives. Folks, there are many, many people sitting in churches today who call themselves Christians. Many people sitting in churches today who call themselves spiritual and religious because they are people who come and hear the Word of God. They read it themselves. They attend church. They hear it proclaimed. They hear it it, um, preached and they hear it taught but what James is going to say in these classes will make clear in these verses is that if the person's only response to to the word of God is just to hear it then that person is in danger of deceiving themselves in terms of their faith in terms of the genuineness and the the authenticity of their faith James says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That word deceive means to be, to be misled by a false appearance. See, if we're, if we're people who only hear the word of God, we can give the, the false impression to others and, more importantly, to ourselves that we are true believers. But James is saying that that may not be the fact at all, that we are not true believers if we are just people who just come and just hear the Word of God. And that's the only response we have to it, just allowing it to just go into our ears, maybe fill our heads with a little bit of knowledge about the Bible, but that it does not have any impact on our lives. You know, one of the things which... Uh, which I don't know whether you've actually uh, considered this or not, But for the person who only comes and hears the Word of God without allowing the Word of God to actually have, to actually complete the the work in our lives which God intends for it, if we're just people who come along and hear the Word of God, then the danger for us sitting in the pew on a Sunday in church week after week after week is that our our ears can, after a while, they can just become so accustomed to hearing it, it can just become so just kind of um, so normal to us. That in fact, that after a while, we, we just shut out, we just shut ourselves off from it. It's they say that familiarity breeds contempt. Familiar when you when you're so familiar with something, it tends not to have the same kind of impact on you on you, on your on yourself as as hearing something for the first time. And the danger is sitting here in, on a Sunday morning in the pews. Just hearing the word of God, becoming so familiar with the gospel but not actually opening up your hearts and your lives to the, to, the, to the work of the power of God in you, you become immune to the gospel. And so your heart becomes hard and your ears become dull of hearing. So what James has wanted to say to his readers is that there is a danger in just hearing and not and not taking it any hearing the word of God and not taking it any further. We must be more than just hearers, we are to be doers of the word, James says. We need to do what it says. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 4 says this. And by this we know that we have come to know God. This is to know God not just by a head knowledge, but truly know God in relationship. Okay? This is how we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him or I know God, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. He is being misled. But whoever keeps God's word in him truly the love of God is perfected or made complete. What we uh, sort of tend not to pick up in uh, in our English translations of this is the fact that what James is saying here is that what we need to do is we need to continually prove ourselves to be doers of God's word. We need to keep on striving in our lives to be doers of the Word of God, John MacArthur in his commentary states this. He says the term "doers" carries with it the characterization of the whole personality. So, all, all, all you know, every single fiber of us, all of a person's inner being, their mind, their soul, their spirit, is engaged in doing the Word of in doing the Word. A true believer, James, goes, sorry, MacArthur goes on to say that what James is really emphasizing is that that believers are characterised very much by what they do in terms of the word of God. They are characterised by what they do in terms of carrying out the word. A true believer, in fact, James, you know, James says, well, a true believer will not be inwardly satisfied with just merely knowing about the word. They'll want that word to have an impact in their hearts and in their lives. What James goes on then to to do is he uses an analogy to illustrate the difference between the person who just merely hears the word and the person who puts the word into practice. We see that in verses 23 and 24 of our passage this morning. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. He forgets what he was like. So what James says here is he's comparing the word of God to, to, to a mirror. To a mirror. And what he says is it's like this person who comes to the mirror... And he looks into the mirror. No, it's not just a casual glance, but it's, you know, it's sort of to take a, a fairly sort of close look at ourselves in the mirror. Probably the things which we all do every single morning when we get up. We go into the bathroom, you know, we, we do what we need to in the bathroom, and we look in the mirror to look at our appearance in the mirror. These people look at, at themselves in the mirror, and as they look at themselves in the mirror, they sort of see their condition. They see their state. Like for me, I can go into the bathroom in the morning and I can look in the mirror and I can see that uh, that you know my, my face might be dirty or unshaven, my clothes might be you know unironed or something like that. The mirror reveals that to me; it shows that to me. I can't say that my hair is uncombed because there's not enough hair there to comb. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bree. <laughs> Nothing like keeping me humble, hey Bree. It's all right. but I can look in the mirror, I can see my state. And and what James is saying, the person who only hears the word is like this person who goes and looks at themselves in a mirror, but instead of doing something about their condition, they they just go away and then they forget what they look like. They forget completely what they look like. Nothing changes in them. Nothing changes. And then then they're misled into thinking that, you know, when they walk away and they're not actually looking at themselves, that they're all okay. When in actual fact, that's not the case at all. So the, the mirror points out to us the things that need our attention. Now, the mirror might not have the power to change those things. We might only, you know, we then have to obviously take things like a, a comb to comb our hair. We might need to take, you know, soap to our faces or a razor to our faces or something like that or an iron to our clothes to, uh, you know, to, to take the creases and things out. All those things for, to make our appearance change. We need to take action in terms of you know, concerning what the, the mirror has revealed to us. But if we don't do that, then what use is the mirror then? Why have a mirror in the first place? And if we don't do what the Word says to us, what the Word reveals about us in our character and in our nature before God, if we don't do that, then, then, then James is saying, well, then what use is the Word to you in your life either? If you're just about hearing the word, then it's going to have no use to you. It might increase your knowledge, but knowledge of its own, if it's not applied, is absolutely useless. It's like, for instance, you know, I can, I can be, you know, I can have a knowledge in my head of, of, of going into the kitchen and knowing that the that the oven, if the oven is turned on, then the oven is going to be hot. Okay, That that, that knowledge is there. But if I don't then take that knowledge and apply it to the situation okay, and instead go and touch the oven when it is on, then I'm going to get burnt. So knowledge in and of itself is is useless, but we have to take that knowledge and apply it. We need to apply it in its context. And that's what the, the Bible is like. The Bible is like a mirror to our inner being, to our souls. It reveals to us who we really are. But not only that, it reveals to us who God is. It can reveal to us the holiness and the righteousness of God. It can declare to us our sin and our unrighteousness before him, our need for forgiveness. It can point us to the remedy of our sin and that being Jesus Christ. And it can show us to how to live our lives in order to please God, having come to a faith in Jesus. But unless we act on these truths, we remain completely and utterly Unchanged. And therefore, it will not. The word of God will not profit us at all. Like the money of the, of the man at the beginning of the story, and you know, at the beginning of the message, and, you know, with the, all that money in the bank, but it just it was he just didn't profit him because he never used it. It's fooling, It's you know, it's foolishness to see our flaws, you know, to have our Bible reveal to us our flaws and our need to have our sins forgiven in Jesus Christ, and, and but then to just ignore it. To go away and do nothing about them, James says it's like looking in a mirror and going away and forgetting what we were like. By contrast, James goes on to say, then the person who looks at the mirror. Okay, this time he's, he's looking at you know a person who, who looks in the mirror with uh, with a real in uh, a, a real intensity, if you like. the uh, The original language actually uh, sort of carries with it the meaning of a, of a person actually bending over. And uh, in in in, uh, in um, you know first century, a lot of the uh, a lot of the um, the Bible was written out on, on big long scrolls. Okay, a lot of the uh, scriptures were written out on huge big long scrolls, and sometimes they were laid out along the floor. They were that long. They were that you know they were that that uh, that big. And the people like to literally get down on their hands and knees and actually bend over to read, the, uh, to read the writing and to pour over the scriptures. And that's the picture here, the person who, who, who takes the time and the, the, the carefulness and, the, uh, and, and, and that, that real intentionality of, of really delving deeply into the word of God. It says, By contrast, the person who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James says there's a contrast. The person who hears and hears only is deceived, but the person who, who hears and then does the word is the person that will actually find blessing in their lives. We need to make sure that when we hear the word, we apply it. We take what it says and we allow it to challenge our hearts, to change our attitudes and our motives and our behaviours because God says that in doing this, that will be a blessing to us in our lives. James speaks of this person as one who perseveres. Literally, the, the meaning here is one who continues in the company of the word of God. So James is sort of like this picture here. of the, the, As you go about your life each day, that the word of God goes with you like a companion. Like someone who is there with you side by side. You know, and that you walk in, in, in company with the Word of God. You take it with you, and, and the Word of God then is able to, to um, inform and, uh, and, and enable you to, uh, to change your motives and attitudes in light, of what it's, in, in light of what it says. The person who perseveres is the one who will be blessed in their doing. James says that uh, he refers to the, the Word of God as the perfect law and the law of liberty. And what James is highlighting here is the fact that the word of God is perfect. It is perfect. In other words, it's complete. It lacks nothing in regards to what we need to know about God and what we need to know about ourselves. Let me uh, read to you a few verses from Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 to 9. Oh, no, that's not the one I was looking for. There it is. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9 says, "...the law of the Lord is perfect." Complete, Lacking nothing Reviving the soul The testimony of the Lord is sure Making wise the simple The precepts of the Lord are right Rejoicing the heart The commandment of the Lord is pure Enlightening the eyes Now I won't put our home group members on the spot uh, this week To ask them what all those things mean We studied that this, this last week but, you know, these, these, these verses, honestly, if you just go pour your heart into this, you really go over these and you really sort of start to get into what the psalmist is talking about in, in terms of the Word of God, you'll start to see how wonderful the Word of God truly is and how much of an impact and a, and a tremendous blessing it can be to us as we take it and apply it to our lives. Revives the soul; it makes wise the simple; it brings rejoicing to the heart. It's pure and it enlightens the eyes. See, it perfectly, it rightfully, and truthfully expresses God's nature and His purpose to us. That's why it is the perfect law. But not only is it perfect, but it is also a law which brings liberty. It brings liberty. In other words, it points us to the fact that it points us to the truth that it can set us free in our lives. Psalm 119 verse 45 says this, And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. The image here is, oh no, that's not the one either, is it? There it is. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts the psalmist says that wide place speaks of you know a broad open area you know an area where you know it actually just just pictures freedom doesn't it i shall walk in wide places for i have sought your precepts your law Jesus says to the to uh, to his audience in John chapter eight verses thirty one and thirty two. Jesus says to the Jews who had believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free." Sadly, today we have so many people in our world who think that the Bible is all and the, and the God he's just all about curbing our fun. It's just all about, you know, basically being a killjoy when it comes to, you know, enjoying the things of life. That the the Bible is restrictive, that God is restrictive, and He wants to take away your joy and, 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 and those sorts of things from your lives. And in fact, it's completely the opposite. And yes, there is certainly some restrictions in the Word of God, but it is in those restrictions that we find liberty, that we find freedom. Because God says, you know what, you, what you, can, you, know, you can sort of move within, you know, within these confines and there is freedom to go anywhere you like in that. But he also does it from, he puts those boundaries in place for our good because he knows when we step over those boundaries or we cross those boundaries that it will be harmful, not just for ourselves, but for those, of the, for those people around about us. Paul, speaking to the church in Rome, in Romans verse 6, Sorry, chapter 6, verses 17 to 18 says this. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Paul says we have have been set free from slavery. We've been set free from slavery to sin ...but have become slaves of righteousness. Well, some people will say, well, that's you know, slavery to one thing and slavery to another. So we've basically no freedom there whatsoever. It's, it's being taken from, from one place of, of bondage to another place of bondage. But that is not the case at all. Because although it says that we are called to be slaves of righteousness... ...God has freed us. He's freed us from a state which gave us no choice... See, when we're slaves to sin, in our normal human states, we ourselves do not have a choice. We are are slaves to sin and that's it. That is what we follow in our lives. We have no choice and no power to get out of that. In fact, Paul in Ephesians says that you were once dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, a dead person has no power to change their condition. And just as a dead person has no power to change their condition, we in our sin have no, no power at all to change our choice and our position in sin. We are slaves to it. We are slaves to our own natural desires. And it leads, Jesus says, to, uh, to destruction on our part. But what God has done is he's freed us from a state which gave us no choice to a state which now allows us to say no to sin and to do what is right and good in God's eyes. It allows us to serve God, but not out of fear and duty, but to serve him out of gratitude and love. And that's the difference the gospel makes. That is the difference the gospel makes. See, true blessing comes from obedience to God's word, and that's what James says in verse uh, in verse twenty five. There, he says, "For the one who for the doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." Reminds me of uh, of uh, uh, excuse me the words to Joshua in Joshua chapter one and verse eight where he's told, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, God's commandments, God's commands shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. God says, if you follow in my ways, if you walk in those paths that God has has laid out, he said then, Joshua, I will take care of you. Things will go well for you. Now we're not talking here about a a prosperity gospel whereby you know if we if we do this, then God is you know obliged to bless us. If we you know if we give all this money or if we you know act in certain ways, then God is obliged to bless us. That's not what we're talking about here at all. In fact, sometimes what we find is when we're actually obedient to God that we find hardship to come into our lives. Some of you people who have been walking the journey of faith for some years will know that you've experienced it. So we're not talking here about a a material blessing as such. But what we're talking about is is a blessing that comes from being able to live our lives with God and God's power working in us and through us to accomplish his purposes. That's why James begins this passage by saying, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds.'" Why should we count it as joy? Because we know that God is at work in the midst of those trials to mould us and to shape us into the people that he's called us to be, to bring about a sense of, of spiritual maturity in us, a spiritual steadfastness, which will help us to be prepared for all the things that will come at us in our lives. What we need, to, find, what we need to, to see here is that James is talking about a general principle that in following God's word, it gives us wisdom to make choices that often lead generally to good outcomes in our lives. Like I say, generally, because it doesn't always work that way because God may have different purposes for us in order to bring about what he wants to from our lives. But I think about the Ten Commandments. I think about the Tenth Commandment where it says, Do not covet. Now, if we obey that, if we obey that command, if we, if we obey the command, do not covet in our lives, then some good things are actually going to come about as a as a as a cause as a, sorry going to come about as a result of that. Firstly, we are going to be content with the things that we have in our lives. So when we don't, when we look around us and we and we don't sort of look around us and think, oh, that person's got that, I'd really love to have that. But instead, if we say, you know what, God, I am just happy to have what you've given me in my life. And I've been blessed abundantly as it is anyway in what you've given me. And so I'm going to be content with with, with that. And therefore, because I'm not coveting my neighbor's goods, it means I'm not going to go and steal them from him. Or I'm not going to go and, and knock him over the head and kill him in order to have his things. You know, or I'm not going to enter into, a, into a, an illicit relationship with, 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 with his wife or, uh, or someone else in his house. Therefore, damaging relationships and, and causing unknown strife that within, within that context. So you can see what I mean, country, as we obey God's words, there are good results. There are good outcomes that come from obeying that. And that's what James is saying. You will be blessed in your doing. Now, I'd like to be able to go into verses 26 and 27 this morning, but uh, I'm not going to because, of the, uh, because we'll be here for another half an hour or so yet. But what, I, what, I, what, what verses 26 and 27 sort of really go into talk about is that they, they're kind of like illustrations, if you like, of, of what it means to be a doer of the word in, in concrete examples. Speaking about the tongue and speaking about a person's care and concern for the needy and also a person's you know, holiness and righteousness in God's sight. So I'm not going to go into that this morning, but we're going to pick up on that next week. But what I want to sort of leave us with this morning is this. Is that as we read these verses, verses 22 to 25 this morning in James... What we need to remember is that it is possible for us to sit here this morning in, the, in our seats, in our pews in this, in this church, and think that we ourselves are spiritual, that we're religious, that we're that are, you know that we are that we are good people in God's sight. But just be but be hearers of the word only. We can sit here, we can come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and hear the word proclaimed and think and walk out of, that, walk out of those doors and have this real sense of, of confidence in our hearts that, you know what, I've ticked that box today. Me and God, we're tight. We're doing all right. But if all, of you heard, all you've done this morning is just heard the word proclaimed and maybe just you know, gained a little bit of knowledge, but, God, but you then don't allow God's spirit to work in your life and use that word to, to change you in your attitudes and in your motivations and in the way you live your life, then you are deceiving yourself this morning. You are deceiving yourself. The true test of genuine faith in Jesus and the fact that we truly belong to God and are his children is this. That we will not just be hearers, but we will be doers. People who look into the word like a mirror and allow the word of God to reflect back to us what we are really like. Not just on the outside, but more so on the inside, in our hearts, in our sinful states. to point us to the fact that there is a saviour who can save us from that and who wants to set us on a new path of life following God in righteousness and holiness so that we become an example to those around about us of the truth and reality of Jesus. These are the tests that we need to apply to our lives today. Am I a hearer? Am I a hearer only or am I a doer? If, we were to, if you were to go before a judge this morning, the judge being God himself, would God be able to say to you this morning that you are in fact a doer of his word or a hearer only? That's something to really seriously think about, isn't it? Because ultimately, every single one of us will have to stand before God as judge, That's sobering. That's incredibly sobering. You might think, you know, that, that you can just go through your life as, as you please, thinking, you know, that, you know, I've done this religious stuff, it's okay. You get to the end of my life and, you know, and, and, and be able to sort of go before God and say, well, you know what, you're a kind and gracious God, you'll let me in anyway, even though, you know, there was, I didn't probably uh, you know, follow your word as you wanted me to, I didn't sort of respond to Jesus as you wanted me to. Don't think you can treat God like that, folks. Don't think that you can treat God in that way because God is a holy and righteous God. He cannot tolerate sin in any way, shape or form in our lives. And unless our sins are paid for by Jesus Christ, then we will never be able to stand before God and hope to enter into his heaven. So as you leave this place this morning, let us commit to not being just hearers of the word, but to be doers. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word this morning to us. And Lord, it is easy just to hear and, and to be able to just walk out those doors after hearing a message this morning and, and within you know, a few minutes forgotten completely about all you've said to us this morning, about all that we've been challenged about by your word today. But instead, Lord, help us to be people who go and truly um, seek to allow your spirit to work in our lives and for us to, be, to surrender to you, to surrender to the, the, the things that, we, that, that you want to, to challenge us about in our lives. And Lord, to, to repent of those things which we know are wrong. And Father, to receive your forgiveness and then to walk in righteousness and holiness. Help us to indeed be doers. Of the word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Trevor and the team are going to come and leave.